the wrestling podcast about nothing is brought to you by bda radio bda radio doesn't break news they break the news with their wild commentary regarding mma and wrestling head on over to bdaradio.com and check out all of the latest news on the ufc bellator wwe and much more they are proud to be the voice of fans because they are fans themselves bdaradio.com I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. Wrestling fans, there are millions and millions of podcasts out there, but there's nothing like this one. Do you ever just get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dimension? This is the wrestling podcast about nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Welcome to the wrestling podcast about nothing episode 34 presented by BDARadio.com. There are so many pro wrestling podcasts out there covering every facet of the business. So we went to BDA Radio and said, we had a different idea for a podcast. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. They said, what's your wrestling podcast about? We said nothing. And thankfully they said, we think you may have something here. So here we are. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast. And this Friday I'm ending my extended hiatus from the ring. And joining me as always is a veteran of the New England Independent Matt Wars, the Irresistible Force, the Immovable Object, Oxbaker's Executioner, not the man who executed Oxbaker, but Oxbaker's Executioner, the Kingpin, Brian Malonis. In poor taste, Michael. That is in poor taste. It is, yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy passed away. But you were his charge. We talked about this on Something Extra this past week. We did. We did. So why are we rehashing it now, Michael? <laughs> because it's fun. We're going back to old traditions where I just... Gave one of your many uh, monikers to start the start the show. <laughs> we just talked about it, though, on Something Extra. People want to hear about it. They should download Something Extra. What do you yes, think? Yes, make sure you download last Thursday's Something Extra. And a callback? Is that what that just was, Mike, that, you, that you. you did? Right? Yes. A callback? <laughs> yes. And uh, also, as I mentioned this Friday, I'm making my return to the ring. That'll put some butts in seats. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not about me. It's about Brian Fury. It's about... Alex Arion having one last match in Woburn, Massachusetts. Chaotic Wrestling, make sure you get your tickets. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure it's close to selling out, if not having sold out. So make sure you're a... Uh... Now, am I going to have to buy a ticket to this? Because I'm not booked, Terry. I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. I think I, think I have one comp. <laughs> oh, vodka! Jeez. Vodka just crawling up my back <laughs> with full claws. <laughs> Holy Toledo. <laughs> really wanted to get up and tell me something, right? You okay? Got a couple new orifices in my body. Just <laughs> holes from claws. Uh, <sighs> I don't know how I'm doing the rest of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going in injured on Friday, Ryan. I'm going into this thing injured with uh, bleeding profusely. Oh, my goodness. And uh, something, extra this something extra this week. We're going to be talking about... Um, it was suggested by Steven, our good friend, long time, a supporter of the wrestling podcast about nothing. And it was kind of hard to describe in in however many characters you have to do the poll. It's the best of um, bits outside of the arena. Um, we're going to discuss this this Thursday on Something Extra. The best, the best vignettes that were not filmed in a wrestling ring, let's say. Yeah, 
All right, I got you. I didn't know what it meant at first. Thank God the chaotic preview didn't win. Good what do you Lord. mean by that? Good Lord. Wait, we're not. Well, okay, we'll give. Yeah, we'll give a special preview here later in this podcast. Then, <laughs> you can. I'm not booked. I'm not <laughs> plugging that crap. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh my God. Your good friend Brian Fury. My goodness. Well, I promoted my last match with him. Yes, you did, and I'm promoting <laughs> his last match. There and, you go. And so you, I'm a part of this podcast too, Brian. I don't think we need to promote the. I don't think we need to preview the whole stinking show. Okay, well, there also be a pandemonium on the show, Brian. Gives a crap. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Michael's getting uncomfortable. <laughs> Chaoticwrestling.com to get your tickets. And uh, yeah, also look out for something extra on Thursday. But thanks for downloading this podcast. New content is released twice a week, Monday for these full episodes. And as I mentioned, Thursday for the bonus episodes. You can get them on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, and of course, through BDARadio.com. If you're listening to us right now on the Podcast Radio Network, thanks for tuning in. And we'd love to hear what you think. Tweet us at the WPAN. Brian, we were actually on twice last week on the Podcast Radio Network. We're on Monday talking wrestling on Pulp Culture Cosmos. Thank you to Gerald Glassford for that. And then we were on our own show, which is each and every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Go to podcastradionetwork.net for more. And thank you to everyone who's remembering the three S's. Share, subscribe, and star ratings. Thank you to our listeners, friends, fellow podcasters who have shared the show. It is the best way to get the podcast out there in front of more people. Just retweet those links when we send them out, and we appreciate everyone who does that. And we'd also like to shout out everyone who's rated and reviewed the show on iTunes. It's a tremendous help, and we can't do this without you guys, so thank you very much. Coming up today on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, we'll have some Merv Griffin time, a promo about nothing, and a whole lot more. But first, Brian... Let's get into talking some refereeing. So, Brian, I'm not sure you're aware, but uh, I'm returning to the ring. It's been like a year and nine months or something like that. Do, you, do your pants still fit you? <laughs> that, I, I, I truly am not aware, and I probably will have to buy new pants. <laughs> Are you the new fat pants? <laughs> <laughs> I very well may be. I, I may be. So, yeah, Friday night, I'm refereeing uh, Brian Fury's final match. It's in Woburn, Massachusetts against the Golden Greek Alex Arion. Uh, should be a great time, but I've spent some time reflecting, Brian, on what I've done, where I've been, the right things I've done, the wrong things I've done as a wrestling referee. So before I head out there in Woburn this Friday, let's talk about one of the most underappreciated positions in professional wrestling, Brian, being the third man out there in the ring. The highs, the lows, the twos, the froes of being a referee. What do you say? Sure. I mean, if you're looking for a list of things you've done wrong, I've worked with you enough times. I could probably, uh, I could probably fill out a pretty extensive list, like the time you uh, helped screw up the finish of a uh, tag team championship battle royal. I had that on my list. Here. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we can get into that. Uh, but for this first ever referee confessional, we have a good friend of ours here, Brian. He's a longtime referee, compatriot of mine, the senior official of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. Once again, Todd Sinclair. Hello, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm tired. Hello. As always. Yes. Um, so, refereeing. We talked to you a number of weeks back about your story, but let's get into specifically about refereeing. I remember when I first started, someone said to me, I won't name, yeah, anyone could be a referee. Just throw them in there. And that happens quite often where just some... 
random guy gets thrown in a striped shirt and put in the ring. And yes, Todd, tell us, has that ever happened? <laughs> <laughs> More times than I can count. <laughs> and I guess anyone could be a referee, but um, to be a good referee is something completely different. Let me ask you first, Brian, as a wrestler, what do you think makes a good referee? Stay the hell out of my way and count to three. No. <laughs> that's the <that's> stand, <laughs> yes. No, but I mean, I mean, somebody who uh, is there when you need them, you know, if you have to relay information or whatever, but just somebody who, who's just actively involved and, I mean, as, as much as I just joked about it, staying out of, I can't tell you how many times, like, I've had a referee in my way or be over-assertive or put their hands on me or... Um, well, you're sexy. Well, <laughs> I the best compliment for me that I can ever pay a referee is, boy, I didn't, I didn't even notice you in there, other than when I needed to. I, I think that's because, I mean, obviously, refereeing is a is very important position, just as important as the two wrestlers in the ring. But the goal of the wrestlers is to put yourself out there. The goal of the referee is to be the invisible third man kind of thing. You know, like I think it's it's a thankless position. I think for you guys, yes. <laughs> So, Todd, do you have any sort of, like, refereeing philosophy of what a referee should be when you go out there? Um, I mean, mostly my job, in, in my opinion, is to help the match, help the story that's going on. Um, that's the underlying thing that I do. So if, if guys need me to be in a certain place in the match to convey part of their story, I need to be there for that. I need to re- relay information. Um, the booker has ideas that he wants to relay through the match. I'll know that too, so uh, so I can go in there and, and help get the story over. That's that's my job. It's you know I, every ref can count three and every ref can tell somebody to break in the ropes and whatnot, but it's important to help the story and help the guys that are in there. That's my job. That's that's my overlying philosophy to it. If if I'm not helping out, then I don't think I'm doing my job properly. It's like you said, thankless job, but yeah, our job is to be out there and to advance things, get things from point A to point B and be there any way you can to assist in that. It's not about me. It's not about, as a referee, it's not about me. It's about the two guys. And any time that it becomes about you, it usually means you did something wrong, as you as you <laughs> kind of alluded to, <laughs> yeah. Brian. Um I hate when it becomes about me. Like, there's sometimes there will be about you. Just an example that happened a, f- a few weeks ago when we were over in England. Um, they the match was uh, Chris Daniels and Frankie Kazarian against Dalton Castle in Delirious, and there was more haha in there than than normal in Ring mm-hmm. of Honor. And uh, at one point, I got in the way of um, Frankie Kazarian coming off the ropes, and I hip tossed him. And it was I, it was not something I wanted to do, but it was part of the match. It was part of the story that they, they were conveying. So I, so I went ahead and did it. It just felt really awkward because the spotlight was on me. And, and the spotlight, I got into refereeing and loved refereeing as a kid because that's not where the spotlight was. I have social anxiety overall, and I'm terrified of like public speaking, being in front of a crowd. And thankfully, with the referee position, I can hide in the background. So when I do come to the forefront, I don't like it at all. It's just not me. Yeah, it's, I've said exactly the same thing. It's like hiding in plain sight. It's as close as you can be to the action without being the focal point. And that I kind of feel the same way in terms of being a little socially awkward. And that's kind of that's what I thought the place was for me. 
But Kingpin, you were a referee for a short period of time and beyond wrestling. I was. What what tidbits did you pick up or, or is there anything that surprised you as the third man in the ring? Yeah, well, how hard it is to stay out of the way. I, I especially like a tag match. Oh my god, that was disastrous. Like you did a tag match? Yeah, it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I need, <laughs> I need to see that. I actually apologized to the four guys afterwards. Really? It, it, it was it was uh, it was Dijak and uh, Chris Dickinson versus uh, Chris Hero and JT Dunn, and I, I was terrible. I apologized to them afterwards because I'm like I'm and and all of them to a man was like you're you're not really a referee, so right. you know it's okay. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. Oh my god, horrible. I I think it go, also goes against every instinct that you have as a wrestler because when I'm in there as a wrestler, like the old Kowalski kind of saying, make the people notice you. And that's not my job. Like my job is to stand in the background. And like I, I felt so awkward. Like, when you're actually doing stuff, when you're counting or stuff like that, like that feels okay. Like I feel good with that. It's when the action's going on and I'm just standing there. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, when <laughs> your hands in your pockets. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like you're, you're uncomfortable with the spotlight on you. I'm uncomfortable, like, being out there and not, like, my instincts are to, you know, put the spotlight on, I'll try in some way, put the spotlight on myself. Right. But when you're the ref, it's like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, it's, you know, I, I was awkward as, as all hell. It's something I, like, other than maybe, like, if there's a, guest referee thing we're doing like i would never want to ref consistently ever no yeah. offense <laughs> none, none taken i don't want to wrestle so yeah none taken there's nothing worse than a referee that wants something more that is angling his way into a a spot as a wrestler and kind of almost intentionally getting the spotlight on him i, I mean i can think of a, a couple of referees who kind of do things to make the people notice them and like slap hands and Ugh. wave to the fans and and just I, if this is just gonna segue into into something that drives me crazy and it's the right time to bring it up so Do i'm it. going to um on that point it drives me nuts absolutely nuts when a referee at anything that goes on in the match a strike whether it's a chop whether it's a forearm whether it's a body slam that the referee is cringing overly ridiculously <laughs> For everything, <laughs> right? They're selling everything that's going on, and there's a time and a place. You'll you'll learn this as as a ref. There's a time and a place where you want to react to things, but if you're constantly selling a punch to a face and you're cringing on everything, I've never seen a referee in football cringe on a hit. I've never seen a boxing referee. Can you imagine a boxing referee on every punch? <laughs> go, oh, 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 shish, oof, oof. It's insane. Do you jump on every bump? I don't, I don't <laughs> jump on every bump, but I have jumped. Like There are times to do it. There's a place to do it. If you watch me, if, if you're watching me and you see my face cringe in the ring, it's because I legitimately am thinking, holy crap, that looked like it hurt. But if yeah. I'm doing it a hundred times, it, it has no effect. It's actually taking away from the, the match. Anytime you're doing these big motions and and drawing people to look at you, oh look at the ref is doing that. I I've been in crowd before around people and they're saying, oh look at the, the ref making the motions and cringing and big hand movements and all this stuff. And yeah, it's the, you shouldn't be watching the referee. Watch right. the guys in the ring. Right. Your eye, the eyes are focused on the wrestlers, and if out of the corner of a person's eye, they see this movement, what regardless of what it is, but it's this movement constantly. They're going to keep looking over to that movement. And they're not going to focus on the match. It takes away from what guys are doing in the ring, and, and I think fans' enjoyment of it. All right, so let's talk about referee 
training. I mean, I've said this, that I didn't have official training. I mean, I would go to Kowalski school and kind of hang out and get in there a few times and do what I saw on TV. And I mean, most of my training was basically on the job. I know you have a different philosophy, Todd, when it comes to training uh, to be a referee. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I brought this up on my on the last podcast I was on with you guys. Um, I wanted to learn how to wrestle because, well, when, I mean, when I signed up for wrestling school, so I signed up at Chaotic Training Center, same like I said this, uh, before in the other podcast, around the same time Brian did, but there wasn't, this is the referee curriculum. Like this, there wasn't anyone teaching referee. Right. Like, because they just didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have a referee trainer. But I went into it thinking I want to learn everything I could about wrestling. So uh, on top of the refereeing that I was going to do every time you know, I was at class, I wanted to learn how to wrestle basically to not be in the way. That was my main focus was to not be in the way and to think like a wrestler. Going off of Brian, when, when Brian was just saying that he was in the way in that tag match and he felt awkward, I don't want to be in the way. So if I don't have that experience and I don't have that training, I felt I wasn't doing the right thing for the guys in the ring. And, and also, I wanted to learn how to bump so I didn't kill myself. Right. And some people think bumping actually is different for a referee. Some people think that a, the way a referee bumps should not be the way a wrestler bumps. And I, I can understand that to a point. Um, but I also want to be safe, so I want to bump properly and not, not hurt myself because I'm not doing what wrestlers do. So, yeah, I, I went to wrestling school to learn to wrestle, but to help my refereeing. And you go and attend like all the Ring of Honor seminars that yeah. take place, right? Yeah. And referees attend those as well. Yeah, they do. And what do you do in terms of being a referee and talking to the referees that are looking to get a spot? I, I talk to them about just my philosophy of refereeing. And I, I kind of pinpoint things that they're doing that I, I think uh, need to be improved. There's, there's a lot of bad habits that guys have where they just don't think like the way the way I, I it sucks for me to say they don't think the way I think but it, it a lot of it is that because when guys come to these camps and this is this is actually for everybody who's listening to this who wants to be a referee or who is a referee um, a lot of these guys come to these camps and they're just they have the experience of, of refereeing but they don't have television experience right they don't referee like they're on television and I understand being on TV isn't somewhere you can just go to any wrestling company and be on television but a lot of the things I work with with the referees at the at the camps is positioning to not be in the way of television so what what I what I tried to do when the minute I stepped into the ring when I when I first started was I pretended that I was on TV there's a horseshoe a type of horseshoe that you work so you're not in front of the hard cam and then you also have to be aware of two handheld cameras that are down on the ground so basically if you if you watch WWF on TV or you watch Ring of Honor on television, look at how the TV is shot and realize, okay, there's a camera there. I don't want to be in the way of this camera. So that's a lot of the stuff I work on with the kids that come into the Ring of Honor camps because they, don't, they just don't have the experience. I decided to do it that way because, okay, I may not be on television today. I may not be in television at the school, but someday that's my goal. That's where I want to be. And if in my head, I at least am thinking always that I am on TV, I'll at least have an awareness and hopefully do my best to not be in the way of television. There's nothing worse when you have a big false finish coming up. And this happens on live pay-per-views because we can't edit this afterwards. And the referee 
will slide into Kyle Cavall and his ass is right in front of the screen that the director's picked. So you've got to be aware where the cameras are. So that's a lot of the stuff I work on with, with the guys who come to the camp. Yeah, that was, I, I will say, so I, I, I refereed a match that was on iPay-Per-View, and there was actually two hard cams and then two roaming cams, and I had to watch for four cameras while I'm refereeing. It was JT Dunn versus Kimberly, and it was, again, just another added wrinkle in, like, not knowing what the hell I'm doing and then having to watch for them or actually getting told by a cameraman, hey, move, <laughs> like, yeah, move, move your ass. <laughs> like, and again, I'm not a small guy, so, I mean, I'm considerably bigger than... Uh, all the people I you know I reffed for, with the exception of maybe you know Chris Hero is probably north of 300 pounds, but yeah, like stuff like that is you don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Yeah, and and, and unless you are doing it consistently, and I'm just like, I what? I have to watch for cameras. Right, now? right. And 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 that term, don't even think about it. I want to not think about it when I'm in there. I want to just automatically in my brain know, oh, there's a camera there, don't go there. I don't want to have to think. So that's why I, I, for the 15, 16 years that I've been doing this, I've always pretended to be on TV. All right, so let's move on to rituals. Todd, as a referee, do you have any rituals before you go out there? I actually, the one thing I do, uh, I like to change into my gear about an hour before the show. Not like Bobby Cruz? No, Bobby Cruz is the last, (laughs) the absolute last minute. It's insane. It drives me bonkers. Um, but I like to change about an hour before we go out, and a, a lot of that is just so I don't have an- anxiety because there's, I don't know, if, I, I, I've talked to wrestlers that have this dream. I've had this dream a lot. I actually will wake up from sleeping from a, a nightmare that the, the music is playing for a match I'm refing, and I'm sitting there in my shorts and t-shirt and not <laughs> in my gear. So to, to avoid the anxiety of that, I, I always get ready about an hour uh, before we go out there. I get into at least my pants and my shoes, and, and I throw my ref shirt on. Uh, I won't tuck it in because I like to breathe. Um, <laughs> so untucked. Yeah, so untucked. But I like that. And then, uh, then what I do, I, I stretch out a little bit, and then I pace. My big thing is if you, if you watch me backstage, before I go out there, I pace. And it's not a nervous pacing. It's just to, to clear my head. Uh, I, I'll just go back and forth wherever I'm at. Hope, you know, hopefully we have a big locker room and I can pace for a long stretch. And, but even in a small space, I'll go back and forth uh, just to get my head clear so I can just get into kind of a zone of, of being a ref. So the, those are the two things I really do. Well, for me, I make sure the day that I'm refereeing, I'm always wearing black underwear. I, I, I never split my <laughs> pants, but I've always had that nightmare where my pants would split right down the back. And I want to make sure I have black underwear on. That's brilliant. So brilliant. It, it doesn't open up and you're seeing, you know, tidy whities or whatever. <laughs> I, I, I feel like so the skid marks don't show. Uh. <laughs> Either way. Either way. It's all a benefit. Um, but that's my first thing. And the other thing is I always bring Altoids. And I have to make sure I buy them for Friday. Altoids? Yeah. I always have Alt- I put like Altoids in my mouth before I go out there. I guess, you know, I don't want to think about my breath when I'm yelling at someone on the apron or I something like, like that. Too. Uh, and I've, I've actually, like, just watching you for years, I've never noticed you 
sucking on an Altoid, then because that would drive me crazy if I saw you doing did that. You, so that's awesome. That's, did you notice his black underpants? I, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> notice that either. So, but at least like, gave me the side eye. Like if changing. you had this Altoid, like you're playing with it on your tongue and shit as the match is going on, it would drive me bonkers. No, no, no. I make sure it's. Uh, I eat it. it. It's gone before I go oh, out. Oh, really? So you just yeah, have yeah. you just have the remnants. Right, right. Uh, right. I, I make sure. Breath. Yeah, he does. It is delightful. <laughs> I try. I try. That's what, that's what I've always said about Michael. I get in there. He's checking my boots and stuff. I'm like, oh, your uh, your breath's delightful, oh. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said checking the boots. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about how Todd? How you're treated by the fans? Overall, I mean, there's some that are there's pockets, right? There's pockets that love me. I, the people in San Antonio are awesome to me. I and and uh, Charlotte, I think a lot of people have been nice to me too. But mostly, fans just shit on me. Uh, Philly didn't seem to like you. No, very Philly, much. Philly, and New York are actually the two worst. Uh, they shit on me. They do the Twinkies chant in in New York, especially. And they can do whatever they want. I, I think it takes away from from the enjoyment of of watching two wrestlers do their thing. But people pay their money and they do it. Um, do you think it's like? Do you think it's like they actually hate you, or is it more like? Um, I don't know. Like, do you think it's endearing at all? Or do you think it's like actual hatred? No, I would say fifty-fifty. I think some people just hate hate me and and you know are assholes, and then some people are, hey ref, that's a closed fist, that type of thing. That's yeah. that's just you know playing along and doing their thing. Um, but I do think some people dislike me, and that's fine. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. What about how you're treated by the wrestlers? I mean. Maybe let's maybe let's not talk about Ring of Honor just because you've been around for so long and you're kind of a staple there. But think back when you go to a place for the first time and meet wrestlers. Some wrestlers that I've been around, it's like the referee's like, okay, hey kid, like almost like you said, Brian, like you know, <laughs> stay out of the way and count to three, that whole thing. D- have you run into any situations like that? Yeah. Oh, I, I especially in a new place, uh, and it happened a lot when I was fairly new around New England because there was this, this crew of guys that knew each other but they didn't know me. And, you know, you go around shaking hands. They're like, hey. And I, would, I was always, hey, ref. You know, nobody, people didn't know my name unless yeah. they got to know me. Uh, I remember there was one show I did, and I was the only ref. Uh, Sweet Scott Ashworth yes. actually called me up. I saw him. I refed on a show with, with Scott Ashworth, and then he called me up. He got my number and said he needed a ref. So he called me and said, hey, I need a ref for this show near Wonderland, which is where ECW used to run. But right it was here. like across the street. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he books me to do the show, and uh, I was the only ref on it. So I did every match, and for a ref to me, I hate doing every match. I like doing every other match. I hate when there's a lot of refs, but I don't like doing every match. So for the first half, I would, because I didn't, you know, I couldn't go backstage and, and ask questions between every match, I would get the, the information at the very beginning of the show for the first half. So about three matches in... I had talked to everybody, but then the, there was a, a tag team called the Power Company, <laughs> who, were, who were jacked, giant. I think that was that was their name, right? The Power Company, or the Power Twins, or Power, Power Company, Company, right? Yeah. yeah, they were twins, and they were jacked. They were gigantic, but they were like five foot two, five foot two, like gigantic, yeah. right? And so I'm refing a tag match with them, and I, I had talked to them earlier, but I had just met them that day, and as the match is going on. I think they were the baby faces, and I'm trying, I'm trying to get one of them out of the ring. So the referees, you know, typically will get, if there's a double team, and then you count to five, and then you'll get one guy out of the ring. So I'm getting one guy out of the ring, and one of the power company is in my face. He's overly saying, are you a good ref? Are you a good ref? Are you a good ref? He kept saying it to me. And, I, and I, after he said it like three or four times, I said, 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my interaction for the rest of, for that match. And but it was like I just didn't have the trust of the guys, and and I just didn't know them from there. But overall, you know, wrestlers treat me pretty well, especially when once you get to know people, and you earn their trust. You know, ref, reffing matches and showing that you know what you can do, then you you earn respect and you become friends with these guys. I, I talk about early on in your career and when you're early on as a referee um i think back to the mistakes i made early on you were at this show todd i'm I'm pretty sure do you remember the match between el chupacabra and arch kincaid i do i remember this yes chaotic uh, wrestling yes chaotic wrestling it was very early on um i mean i've been around a few years at this time but El Chupacabra was a kid in a mask who was literally, I think, 13 or 14 years yeah, old. Yeah, he was a kid. He was he was absolutely a kid. And Arch Kincaid, we've talked about a number of times, Brian's favorite wrestler. He, I think he hit him with like a, a clothesline across the face and, and knocked him completely out. And so this kid, 13-year-old kid, probably got the first concussion of his life in this wrestling match. And In a mask. He was, he was in yes. a mask. You couldn't see his face. Yeah, he's I, wearing, will, I will say that. So, so, yeah, you'll save, save me a little bit there, yeah. but I really didn't know what to do. I, I was kind of aware that he was, he, he was, I don't know if he was completely out or if he was just on, you know, Dream Street or whatever, but I let the match continue and Arch ended up giving him his finish, which was like a, a slop drop, you know, a reverse DDT. I love you call it a slop drop. <laughs> not, not what Sting called it, well, like a scorpion death drop. No, it was a slop drop. Good for you. Yeah, and, and Arch basically pulling the kid up there to to get him into position because obviously he wasn't helping out because he was out of it. And yeah, he hit hit the move and one, two, three, and thankfully it was over. But that was a scary time. But, um, but that wasn't really, I mean, that rattled the crap out of you. Uh, but yeah. it wasn't a mistake. Well, I mean, I should have stopped. I mean, I guess everyone says, you know, we didn't know the effects of concussions or whatever back then. But it, it's... Yeah, matches didn't stop like they do nowadays with right. WWE. That, that's, but I should have done something. I should have. Yeah, but yeah, I, 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 I understand, and, and it eats you up. But it's you've got to think really quickly on something like that. And yeah. just because you didn't make the right decision doesn't mean you made a mistake. Like in in your opinion, you didn't make the right decision. I don't think you made the wrong decision. As far as what do you do? I mean, really, what would you do in that situation? You can't just theorize and think that. You just you have to react. So. I don't think it was a mistake, in my opinion. Well, was there anything like that that happened um, with you? Not, not that. I, if you want to talk a mistake, I can t- talk to you a mistake, but it, I will say it wasn't my fault. Okay. All right. So um, I was- not my fault. I was, you, you may have been here for the show, but I know Muck was. Mucko, our, our dear friend Muck, yes. was at this show. He's made an appearance on the wrestling podcast he has. or nothing. Um, so we were on. A, I was on a show for Bobby Cruz. Bobby Cruz was running shows, I believe, in his hometown of Fall River. I was there. Um, I was there. Okay. <laughs> so I think it was in Fall River, Bobby Cruz's hometown, and the main event was Steve Carino, who's a great friend of both of us. But at the time, I didn't really know Steve. Bobby Cruz was, was really tight with Steve, but it was Steve Carino against Jack Victory, and both of them were a tandem in ECW. Right. So this tag team partner or our friends explode there. Right, huh? right. So this, this, <laughs> is, this is after ECW. So there were two refs. There was me and I think a guy, a guy named Mike Dutch, I think was the ref. Uh, yes. He was the other ref. And in the course of the first show, uh, first half of the show, Mike Dutch, going off of a story, one of Michael's rituals here, one of Crockett's rituals, <laughs> Mike <laughs> Dutch split his pants. 
in the first half of the show. So as intermission came along, I was told by Bobby Cruz, hey, you have to ref the rest of the show. Mike Dutch split his pants. <laughs> so, all right, I don't, I don't want to, but okay, that's fine. So let's say there were four matches left. I just, I don't remember. So I can't just go back and talk to each match after every one because the show has to flow. So I talked to each match at intermission. I asked what the finish was and if there was anything else I need to know. So I had gotten the finish from Steve and Jack Victory. And the finish was Steve Carino hitting his finisher. Let's say that's what it was. But Steve Carino was going over. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly what it was supposed to be. So as the show goes on, I rep match, you know, the first match, second match, third match, and here comes the main event. And they get in the ring and they start wrestling. So, and it was a, they turned it into a hardcore match. So they did all kinds of, you know, there was blood and they did all kinds of beating up on each other with maybe chairs. I think Jack Victory's thing, I think in ECW was being in a wheelchair. I think they had a wheelchair and they used the wheelchair in the match. But as the, the end of the match is coming on, Jack Victory hits Steve with something big. Let's say he hit him with the wheelchair. I can't remember what it was. But he, he nails Carino and Carino goes down and Jack Victory is on top. Now, remember, I was told that Carino was going to win. So I start counting one, two, and as the three count comes, I stop with my hand very close to the mat, but I stop. And Steve Carino doesn't kick out. Well, unbeknownst to me, they had changed the finish in the back and didn't tell me because I had been out there in the front. So they changed the finish where Jack was going to win. So I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do. And the place is silent. All, all <laughs> 75 people are totally silent as I... So everyone can hear you say... I say, I think he's out. <laughs> which, which, if he was out, I should have fucking counted the pin. But regardless, I, you know, I didn't want to tell their story and dictate their story. I was, I was doing what I was told. So I think I, I do remember specifically Mucko burst out laughing like it was the funniest thing he had ever seen. <laughs> right. So after I had not counted that three count, Jack Victory got off and, and went off. And then I went down, kneeled down to Carino. And I said, you have to tell me when the finish is. And he said, it just fucking happened. <laughs> <laughs> so they did one more spot. Uh, Jack Victory hit him with something else. And then I counted three right after that. But that was, I mean, it was a mistake as far as what a referee should do is just count if a guy doesn't get his shoulders up. But I, I go back to, I don't want to tell their story. I'm, I'm helping them tell their story. And I was told that this story was Steve Carino was beating Jack Victory. And I didn't want to change that. So I didn't count the three, which I, I should have. But The best are when, when stuff like that does happen, where a ref will count, like actually count the three because the guy doesn't kick out. And then the wrestler who didn't kick out gets pissed off. At the, at the right, referee. right. The referee didn't happen a lot. Referee's like, doing his job, and then you didn't kick out. He's supposed to count three. So I, I for a, for a wrestler to get mad, that's that's on the wrestler. Yeah, it's a very delicate balance with that kind of stuff. It's like the scariest thing in the world when you're coming down for the three and you don't see the guy moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and some guys like to kick out at three point one rather than two point nine. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's it's brutal when when you're in the middle of that. That hand's slowly coming down and they're not moving. You're like, what the hell do I do? I have, I have a story that's pretty similar, but it was up for a show for a Tony Rumble, and they had WWF talent like contracted talent on the show, and it was. 
Ivory versus Tory. Not Tory Wilson, but the original Tory. I might, might have told this story before, but it's very similar to you. I, I got the finish backstage actually from Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly was backstage. He was kind of like the WWF liaison for the show for Tony Rumble. And he told me the finish. I was like, oh, okay, so I believe it was some sort of like German suplex or something like that. So I said, okay, the finish is a German suplex and Ivory's going over. They went to this other spot, um, which was a O'Connor roll and one, two, and didn't kick out. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I held up and this is in front of like, got to be a thousand people and like a huge school gym and one, two, I held up and no kick out whatsoever. So they knew that something, I think they figured out in the ring what was wrong and they went to the finish that I was told, which was the German and I counted three. But I, I mean, especially in that situation where it's, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, WWF people, you know, I can yeah. look good in front of these people and hopefully <laughs> get a job someday. But to screw up in that spot was just the worst feeling in the world. I remember it was, I think, like uh, winter. And I remember going out into the into the abyss like i just i just like walked out the, <laughs> i walked out of the the, uh, the gym and just walked out the door and just pa like paced like todd sinclair just outside <laughs> just like thinking pondering my future that has completely crumbled but um yeah what, what happened was i mean kevin kelly told me the finish but the, between the two ladies they changed the finish and no one told me so it is the worst feeling in the world i just want to point out like todd's story was about uh, former ECW talent in front of 75 people, but Michael's story <laughs> was WWE contracted talent Ivory and Tori and Kevin Kelly, thousands of people. Now, Crockett doesn't have a, a, a nickname yet, but it, now it is One Up. <laughs> one Up, Jesus, that was like that was like 37 Up, <laughs> right? Oh my God, yeah. The, the tech so this time I was on the road. <laughs> oh my god yeah the, okay the tag team rumble just so we can get this out of the way uh we were told that there's a bunch of tag teams of course in this battle royal style match and the last team that's remaining in the ring wins obviously so we all we were told was which team was going over but they they did some cockamamie strange do you, brian do you recall uh, i remember like it was supposed to be one thing and it got changed to another it was this weird like it was it was like turned like just yeah last team standing but then i think maybe then it was supposed to be like both teams went match out the... or something or like yeah. oh, both guys got eliminated then it was supposed to turn into a match or it was a very convoluted yeah something was worked out bet with. between them where like both teams were eliminated at the same time. And then I was, so there was like literally like three or four minutes after this elimination, double elimination occurred. And me and, uh, oh, ref go. Bennett <laughs> from uh, WWE. I don't know if you oh. know, but he's in <laughs> WWE right now. Oh, pick up that name, Michael. It's over there. <laughs> and so, hey, who else was in that match, Mike? Who, I just wondered who else was in the, who, who were some of the participants, uh, some of the wrestlers that was we it big Rick Fuller. Oh and, yeah, and, who uh, else? I'll guess Darren Bunk, Darren Bunk Young. Crusher, <laughs> yes. yeah. Darren Young. Oh from weird, WWE. huh? Wow. <laughs> Mike works with all the greats. Yeah, and I and I fuck up everything <laughs> that they're doing. But uh, yeah, so and that uh, we we were going back and forth trying to talk to like uh, Fuller and get like what the hell? What am I supposed to say here? What is the actual finish? I have no idea. 
then Bennett just took the reins and said, okay, these guys win. And that, that was the entire thing. <laughs> and so from then on, for a battle royal, I made sure to get exactly what was going on, how the elimination was occurring. So nothing <laughs> cockamamie would happen ever again. Is this the second time I've used cockamamie on this? That's a great <laughs> word. Keep it up. But uh, yeah, um, we talked about um, you know being in the ring when something goes wrong, something happens that's not supposed to happen, like with El Chupacabra. Todd, is anyone... I'm sure it has in Ring of Honor. Like uh, something that wasn't supposed to happen happened, and you have to kind of work on the fly. Yeah, um, there was a match. I believe it was in Providence. It was uh, Jay Lethal against Tommaso Ciampa. I think it was a two out of three falls match. I'm not positive because my memory stinks. But very, very early. I don't know what the move was, but say it was 30 seconds in. Tommaso blew out his knee. So. You got to make the decision. This is thinking on the fly, like you had to do with Chupacabra and Arch. Once Tommaso hurt himself, he told me he told me immediately what he did. He knew it was screwed. He he actually had a history of, of a knee problem, I think, from football. So he he knew his knee was was messed up. So he he conveyed to me that it was hurt. Then I told Lethal. So right out of the gate, you're 30 seconds in. I think it was an iPay per view, but it may not have been. But it was still being recorded for DVD if it wasn't. But you've got to think on the fly. And so the three of us had to come up with a decision, doing it quickly, but and without the world knowing that we were just we were sitting here talking, let's sit down and chat and figure this out. Right. So Tommaso rolled out of the ring or he got thrown out or something, but that gave him time to at least figure out exactly if he could continue with it. So I went to Lethal, then I went back out to Tommaso to talk to him and he he decided it was his decision, he decided to continue going. Now, they're going to do 15 minutes, I would think, 10 or 15 minutes in a two out of three falls match, and they had to work around it. So what we did, he, I think Tommaso actually was being managed by Prince Nana and R.D. Evans at the time. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I actually told them, I think I went to R.D. because he was closest. I told him, go over and do something with Lethal behind my back to stall and give Tommaso a little more time. So once Tommaso decided he was going to continue with this match and, and wrestle it, we had to work as a team to make the best out of it, take care of Tommaso, so he wasn't gonna he was gonna injure himself more anyway because he decided to wrestle. But we at least used all the players to take advantage of what we could to make the match as as good as we could in that situation. But basically, like I've said since the beginning of this, it was my job to help the wrestlers and help the story and help what was going on. So my only role at that point when Tommaso got hurt was to help him out and to help everybody out and figure out the best way to do this. So he gutted it out. It was amazing, but he didn't wrestle for another nine months after that. I think yeah. he had surgery and all that stuff, but it really stunk because it was right at the beginning of the match and they weren't having a, they weren't having a feud that warranted a big two out of three falls title match. Cause I think it was for the TV title. Yeah, that's that that wasn't fun, but it was we did what we had to do and I'm I'm kind of proud of how we all took care of that. Yeah. How we all worked through it. What about your own injuries? I know you've taken some spectacular uh bumps you've been tossed here and there in the ring, especially for Ring of Honor. Uh have you dealt with any injuries on your own? Yeah, um the the worst pain I've ever felt in my life was we it was a, the pay-per-view in Vegas. Uh it was a four-way match. I think it was Elgin against Jay Briscoe, Han, uh, Handsome, Hanson, and uh, Tommaso. And in that match, it was a live pay-per-view. I climbed up to the apron. They were f- fighting outside. I climbed up to the apron. And as I was trying to get back in the ring, Jay Briscoe came off the ropes 
and hit me and I took a a back bump off the side off the the apron of the of the ring to the floor like the the ne- ne- a nasty plunge is what what I've always yeah. heard it called I thought I got hit by a bus it it hurt it hurt more than anything and I I I didn't get any specific injury, but my back is not right since that bump. So it was a stupid bump for me to take. But the worst injury I had that happened in a match was Roderick Strong against Tyler Black in New York when Roderick Strong won the the title from Tyler Tyler Black. Tyler Black, Brian? Who's Tyler Black? (laughs) If I were to name drop, I would say Seth Rollins, but I'm not Mike Crockett, number one up. (laughs) I know him as Tyler Black. Don't worry, Uh, he's going to talk about like Hogan or or The Rock or something like that. Michael did everything with Steve Austin. (laughs) So uh, in that match, Terry Funk was the outside enforcer. And then in the match, I was going to get knocked out and then Terry Funk was going to ref the rest. So I needed to take a bump that was big enough that I didn't get up and come back into the boat. So we decided that uh, Roddy did what he called was a sick kick, which is he would run full speed and then kick the guy right in the mush, right in the face. (laughs) So we decided that Tyler Black was going to, I don't know if he pulled me in or he moved, but I I was going to take Roddy's kick right in the face. Wait, the three of you decided, or they decided and told you? you gonna- no, they decided, but I, there was, just to tell a side, like, this is how some of this stuff works. Sometimes wrestlers will say, hey, we need you to bump, and we're going to do it this way, and this is it, and you say, okay, yeah, I can do that. Right. Or sometimes you'll all work together and, and come up with something and say, hey, look, I can do this bump. Can you fit this into the match? Or something like that. Sometimes it's, it's a... Let's all work together. Right, right, right. So back to the story. I, I think they had decided that's what I was going to take, and, I, and they came to me, and I agreed to do it. But in my brain, now, I don't look like I'm athletic, but I feel like I'm an athletic person. I, I can at least do some of this stuff that's athletically needed. So I decided in my brain, as Roddy's going to kick me in the face, I'm going to take the flip bump, which is, I don't know, uh, who's the best person to say does it? But I thought in my brain, Rikishi used to take it. Rikishi used to take this bump <laughs> where he would get, get clotheslined or something, and then he would twist in the air, right. do a flip, and then still land on his back. I had never done it before, but I thought in my stupid head that, oh, I'm athletic enough, I can do that. So as he kicked me in the face, I threw my legs as far as I could and tried to do this flip bump. Well, what happened was, Instead of you know a regular bump where you land on your back, and instead of a flip bump where you flip and then land on your back or your stomach, I twisted sideways and took the bump on my armpit. <laughs> so okay. I bumped on my left armpit and separated my shoulder when I did it. My arm came right out of the socket, and I didn't come back for the match, thankfully. Uh, but did it I, look good at least? It looked great. Oh, great. It looked great. It hurt like hell. <laughs> I was in a sling for a week afterwards after I went and got it checked out and said, yeah, you separated this. But that was just stupidity on my part. But that was the worst injury. Specific injury I've had was that separated shoulder. So I think I'm lucky overall from the, some of the stuff I've taken. Yeah, especially the uh, length of time as your, your tenured career. All right, just a random question, Todd. I mean, The Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. That match at, at that WrestleMania a couple of years ago, the rumor was that Chad Patton didn't know the finish and didn't know that you know Undertaker was going to lose. How would you feel? I mean, do you, do you think that he was never told 
No way. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. I think Abs- absolutely not. Something was said to him at least during the match, if not if not before. Right. He had to have known to count that because, and this will go to what what I told the story with Carino and Victory. Like it's not my place to dictate a story, and I understand you're supposed to count three when the shoulders are pinned. But if you were to put a guy in the ring and say the Undertaker streak is in your hands and your arm's coming down and the Undertaker's not kicking out and you don't know whether he's kicking out or not, there's no way in hell I would have ever counted <laughs> the Undertaker streak ending yeah. without knowing it. Now, yeah, imagine if you're the guy who inadvertently ended the right, streak. Right, yeah, right? And, and, uh, and, and the theory is, well, it was on the Undertaker to kick out, and if he didn't kick out, that's it. But there's millions of dollars behind that streak. You just hop the barricade. Well, right. don't go to the back. <laughs> Have a good one. I'm retired. There's, I don't think there's any way he didn't know. He had to be told before the match would have been the right thing to do. But even in his ear, right? They 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 told him. I I I don't know him. I have no idea if that's the truth. But I can't see that they didn't tell him. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. I think there's no way you would put that on that guy's shoulders. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I just wanted to... The fact, uh, yeah, the fact that he didn't vomit immediately after counting three <laughs> tells right, right. an indication he might have known. <laughs> Imagine they cut to all the fans with their mouths open, and they're just him with his mouth open, and there's vomit. Just, vomit. <laughs> just, just, just dripping cold, out of cold sweat coming out. Could, could you imagine that happened to Michael? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. God. Mike, Michael would have pooped his, his black underpants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure if that would have happened to Crockett, Crockett was a referee for WWF, and he ended the Undertaker streak inadvertently, I'm pretty sure that the man would drop dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just, would have just walked out of the door, kept on walking onto a highway, just <laughs> struck by a car, and that would be it. Hopefully. You'd be hoping for the car to hit you. Yes. I've, I've definitely seen distraught Michael before. <laughs> it's happened to more than one occasion, yes. Despondent is probably more <laughs> Yes. Um, all right. So let's wrap this up here, Todd. As a referee, I mean, this is kind of a broad question, but how do you know you've done your job at the end of the day, at the end of the show? Uh, if guys are happy, if, if the, the booker is happy, if the wrestlers are happy um, and there were no issues, uh, I think I've done my job the way I'm supposed to do it. I just, I'm there for them. So if, if they're happy and, and, and we all had a we had good time, nobody got hurt, uh, I think that was a success. Yeah, I agree. Brian, as... You, you talked about the, re- the referees, like, they don't see you out there and, and you don't get in the way, you don't make yourself a part of the match, then the referees done his job, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, and I'm a guy, and I think you both can attest to this, um, that I use the ref a lot. <laughs> like, I, I relay yep. stuff. I, um, I, I don't always have the best memory. <laughs> I know I've said to both of you on numerous occasions, hey, ask them what's next. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, and again, I, I think especially, too, because I, I definitely see how some, some wrestlers treat referees, and, and I have seen it. I, I think more so when I was first getting in than than now. But I think with when I, when I first came up, you were, you know, Todd, uh, you, you, you pointing to somebody and saying you doesn't work in a podcast. No. <laughs> I'll uh, raise my hand. Can I? <laughs> when I was first breaking into Chaotic, Todd was the booker. And, you know, well, we kind of had an adver- adversarial relationship at first. Uh, well, you and me? Because you were a dink. Oh, come um, on. <laughs> but later on, we became friends. So I, I was just never in that position to trivialize the ref or what they do. And I think the way we were trained as well um, with, with, you know, Mike Hollow. And really, uh, the, the first one I really remember is 
Tom Pritchard, his camps, really talking about the importance of the referee. See, I can drop names too. There, you go. <laughs> there it is. But yeah, if at the end of the match, you know, everything's gone smoothly and the ref wasn't in the way or, you know, did everything kind of asked, like, yeah, I, I'm not a guy who bitch who, who will bitch out the, the ref anyways, even if something goes wrong. I, I think I try to be more teaching kind of. And, and there's very few guys these days who, even if something goes totally wrong, will bitch out. Like even other than Carino saying that was the fucking finish right there, I didn't get bitched out in the back. Like guys are. If things go wrong, things go wrong. Like that's pretty much most of the guys that I've worked with, and you know, I, this day and age is like that. Yeah, you're not. I mean, you're not gonna. I'm not gonna do it to the guy. Uh, you know, I wrestled. If something goes wrong, so why why would I go do it to the ref? Why? Because I'm bigger, or, or you know. Um, so it's it's a definitely different mentality. Because I remember hearing stories of guys, you know, from the previous generation slapping refs or or roughing up refs during the match, even so. But no, and again, I, again, working with you, the, the two of you guys, a lot. You know, I think I've been very lucky. Uh, I think far and away the two best referees I've ever, I've ever worked with. Um, oh. you know, in my, in my, in my mind, one in one A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, mean, I did work with Ref Bennett, who's in WWE. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, hey. Michael's now one B. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think you guys are, are the, by far, uh, you know. The two best refs I've ever I've ever been in the ring with, and I and, and but I've been in with other other good ones too. I think I think that's that's the one thing lost here is, and, and I don't know if it's because of you guys or or what, but there's a lot of good refs now. Yeah, there definitely <laughs> like, are. There's a lot of really good solid referees, which I think speaks to the fact that maybe people did start to get training and take it a little more seriously than hey, we'll just throw anybody in there. Yeah, which is <laughs> ironic because both of you get the start. That's how you both started. Hey, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> All right, so it's not going to be about me on Friday, Brian. It's going to be about Brian Fury. You've been making it about you, but and Alex Aaron. But I'm making it about. I mean, it's my podcast, right? So it's half my podcast. So I'll make it about me. Do you have any advice, Todd, for me getting back in the ring after a year and nine months? Um, just pace yourself. You're gonna be very winded and blown I, up. Believe me, purple face. Yeah, purple. <laughs> Michael's gonna take over the purple face moniker. Uh, no, I mean, just you know what to do. Even if you haven't done it in two years, doesn't matter. You know what to do. These guys are pros too. Brian and, and Alex are pros, so just I have no real advice other than don't get blown up, but you will. And don't suck out there, right? Is the, that's, yeah, that's, but I'm that's, not worried. That's, that's, that's it's going to be Todd, amazing when he Todd's blows right. the finish yeah. of both of these guys' probably last <laughs> career matches. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Come on out and see me. Do it one last time. This may be the last episode of the WPAN <laughs> with co-host Michael Crockett because he's going to blow the finish and, and off He ran himself. into traffic. <laughs> All right, I guess we can't leave without talking about when a date with Todd Sinclair. Uh, Todd, <laughs> oh, oh boy, Todd, uh, what do you have to say for yourself? Have you heard? Have you heard from Daniel Bryan? I have. No, he he did that one tweet, right? Yes. I haven't talked to him otherwise. No. No, that was it. Yeah. Would you? Because I think it would do wonders for our podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm very busy. <laughs> I'm very tired. I don't have time for this. How do you feel uh, about uh, John Morse commenting on each one of your tweets uh, to say it's, hashtag win a date with Todd Sinclair? Does that <laughs> annoy you at all? No, nah, I'd be happy if it would. It's not. It doesn't annoy me. I think it's kind of funny. But most of the people he's tweeting have no freaking idea what he's talking about. <laughs> like, I mean, the, like the Young Bucks and Matt Hardy. Yeah, the Young Bucks and Matt Hardy <laughs> don't know what that is. Brian knows what it is because he came up with it. But um, if we can get them on the train, yeah, exactly. No, it's stupid. Maybe the next time I see the Young Bucks. I'll 
I'll try to educate them on what a day with Todd Sinclair. No, you won't. It's not right. No, it's stupid. It's uh, John Morris can do what he wants. Some of it's funny. That's fine. The win a day with Todd Sinclair. I hate it. It sucks. <laughs> it's stupid. Ultimately, if you watch that video that Michael talked about last time, the win a date with Todd Sinclair one with, with Brian Danielson and Adam Pierce, that video is does nothing but make fun of me. And that's why I don't like it. It's it's I don't think it's funny. If some lovely woman wants to date me, preferably Asian woman, <laughs> I'm down. But I you don't have to win a date with me. I it's just I hate it. I hate the stupid win a date with Todd Sinclair. It sucks. Well, at least he's open for love. Yeah, so I'm not against have, love. Love's Brian wonderful. Brian and I have both found love, and we just want to share it with you. I'm not I mean, against you, it. The win, date, to... the win a date is the, is the <laughs> shit. Just think, pretty soon you could be doing tandem Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a date. Please leave me alone. <laughs> you, you've ruined it for, for me forever. You don't, tandem. Want to, you, you don't want to do tandem Halloween costumes? No. Well, I that's don't. what old Michael Crockett would say, but new Michael Crockett now does tandem <laughs> Halloween costumes. Yeah, Michael Crockett would do olive oil of Popeye. Hooray. <laughs> happy Halloween. <laughs> because I'm happy. I'm a happy guy. That was when I was miserable mike i'm happy mike no i i I just think you like getting it on the regular (laughs) so so you'll do what's asked of you there's nothing wrong with that all right well this has been great the first referee confessional with myself as a referee now and coming back and todd sinclair from ring of honor wrestling todd thank you so much and uh hope you get some dates thank you we want to hear what you think out there about the art of refereeing twitter at the WPAN, Facebook, that's facebook.com slash the WPAN. Anything we talked about that surprised you, anything that we didn't talk about that you want to know about, you can tweet us at the WPAN, facebook.com slash the WPAN. And yeah, give us some feedback. Let us know what you think of the episode. And let's talk some refereeing. Yeah, do you think, do you think people were surprised at the color of your underpants? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask to see it on Friday, folks. Don't ask to see it. No, uh, no private shows. All right, it is Merv Griffin time, Brian. But before we get into all that, let's talk about our sponsor. People ask me, what do you mean, BDARadio.com? What does the BDA stand for? The Bucks Deletion Anticipated? doesn't exactly flow as perfect English, but anyway, the Young Bucks and the Broken Hardys are on a collision course, rumored to be taking place on WrestleMania weekend for Ring of Honor, but will they show up in TNA before that? I can't stand to wait and find out, Brian, but what I will stand for is what BDA Radio stands for, the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news, they break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. BDARadio.com will never be obsolete. Obsolete, Brian. Obsolete. Good job, Michael. Go with me on that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, it is Merv Griffin time, named for Brian's favorite episode of our favorite show, Seinfeld. Our chance to sit down with the listeners and talk. We talk to you, and most importantly, you talk to us. It is voicemail time. We get a nice, fine voicemail from a listener, Brian. So let's take a listen. Guys, it's Randall Keogh at Randall Keogh on Twitter. Malonis, I just listened to the tag team extra podcast and i gotta disagree with you the only company that survived it only survived because of bad management oh my god wcw crumbled because of bad management ecw crumbled because of bad management poor business decisions had nothing to do with the talent the talent made it 
the talent was the main thing. Midnight Express is probably the best tag team of all time. Rock and Roll Express second, Legion of Doom third. So, got to disagree, but I love the show, and I love you guys. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. All right, Brian. So, back to your all-time tag teams. We talked about all-time tag teams a couple weeks back on oh, Something Extra. Boy. Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, number one and two with still Randall not, Keo. Still friend. not my favorites. <laughs> no? No. So what do you think of what he has to say? Yeah, you, your whole uh, argument was they're not the best tag teams because, you know, that those companies went away. They're irrelevant. But we didn't do best tag teams. It was our favorite tag teams. Was is that was that not the question? Oh, it was all-time All-time favorite. favorite tag teams, yes. Well, I mean... Is, is, is the guys you consider to be your favorite? Like, Hulk Hogan is my favorite pro wrestler of, of all time. Would he be number one in the tops of, of people's lists as like the best wrestlers of all time? Probably not. No, but he's still my favorite. My favorite. Brian Malonis' favorite. Well, yes, it is your opinion, Brian. Um, it's, but no, it's not my opinion. It's my favorite. And there's even a difference with that. Favorite. When I was a kid growing up, I gave what my favorites were. All right. Well, you're wrong either way. I'm wrong. I'm wrong <laughs> over who my favorites are. Yeah, you're not remembering correctly. Uh, so I guess, I guess my favorites should have been should have been guys who were on a television program that that, that I never watched or rarely watched or didn't even get half the time. Oh my god, you'd uh, I don't know. Again, again, I stand by it. <laughs> There's one company that remains from that era because of bad management. Uh, uh, it, irrelevant why <laughs> they still stand at the top of the mountain uh if anything you could say okay the talent there but did wwe or wwf at the time maximize their talent more so than the other companies uh i don't know if i would say that i don't know if i'd say that how could you not what what is the money that hulk hogan made versus the money that rick flair made i don't know i couldn't tell or versus you. what sting made I couldn't tell you. Wasn't even in the neighborhood, man. Well, <laughs> like also, the, I mean, they're living in the South, which is, you know, the cost of living. Exactly. They were a regional promotion. WWE was worldwide. Oh, my God. You're, Ran think, you're making my point. <laughs> Randall Keough, we tried. <laughs> we did what we could, but thank you for the voicemail. <laughs> we want to hear from everyone else out there. Get your voicemails in. We'll play them on the podcast. Call 401-584-9726. That's 401-584-WPAN. Or make it even easier on yourself. Go to Facebook.com slash the WPAN on your phone. And after you click like, click that big blue call now button. It will connect you directly to the voicemail line and you can leave your message for us. The other way to participate here on Merv Griffin Time is using the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag WPAN. Uh, there are a couple of big topics that were kind of going around on our Twitter this week, Brian. You were, um, you were stirring the pot. I don't know if I was stirring the pot. I was just trying to get some conversation going. <laughs> and the first one is actually based on something we talked about last week on the podcast, Brian. It was from TK at THOG94. And he asked, what is the New England wrestling Mount Rushmore? What four talents uh, or promoters or any, any, anybody that was uh, prominent in New England, what four would make the New England wrestling Mount Rushmore? And we had a lot of uh, feedback on this. Uh, you even posted this on Facebook, and it got a lot of feedback on Facebook as well. Guys like uh, Bob Evans saying, Killer Kowalski, Triple H, Tony Santos, who was a promoter for Boston for a long time, and I think he eventually said he probably put John Cena in there. 
Ed Hunt, who is uh, so, someone that you know from Atlantic Pro the Wrestling. Yeah, he talked about Angelo Savoldi, which you had mentioned uh, last week as well. Yeah, so we, who we got? Leo Connors said Killer Kowalski, Triple H, John Cena, and Tony Rumble. That's, I mean, that's as valid a four as, as any others. Um, Damon Farrar. Number one pinhead. I, I'm guessing so because he's going to. He said he's going with current indies, and he believes he's fair. And in no particular order, Brian Malonis, Donovan <laughs> Dijak, Brian Fury, and JT Oh, because I'm on it? Because I'm on it here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm poo-pooing it. Oh, yes. Michael. Uh, Jason Stewart, who is from the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, he says, you know, there's so many. Ortiz, Wag- Slick Wagner Brown, Eric Sprasia, Steve King, Damon Darkangelo, John Walters, Trey, so many more. Elia Markopoulos. Said Alex Arion, Handsome Johnny, Steve Bradley, John Walters. I mean, do do you have more time to think about this? Do you come up with four that really? I, I still don't have a better answer for this because I, I, it's all depending on the criteria. I mean, I, like I said, I still think Kowalski, whether it's talent or uh, or like somebody who kind of you know was a trainer or a promoter, like Kowalski is like the one still for me. Walter is there, you know, because he. You know, he started the school here. He trained many of the talents that have come out of this area or indirectly, like people he trained, trained them, um, ran countless, you know, successful, hugely successful shows in the area for years, uh, influenced, you know, tons and tons and tons of, there, there, there's probably, I mean, is, is it safe to say there, there may not be a person in that is wrestling in this area or training in this area that wasn't in some way influenced either directly or indirectly by walter kowalski no yeah i'm pretty sure like, like he's the nucleus kowalski's yeah. nucleus and even like lobster man's trained with kowalski and you know exactly yeah. so yeah i mean i think um i mean if you're if you're going on you know talent i mean i think i think john cena i think triple h um and then geez the fourth i, I don't even know i <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm sure i'm forgetting somebody who's from this area that um kofi kingston Kofi Kingston, I mean the guy who's been hugely successful in in WWE. What about Scott Taylor? I mean, Scotty uh, Too Hotty. Yeah, I, I, I just it's amazing the talent that has come out of you know this area. I mean, if you're talking current guys, I mean, what about guys like uh, Mike Bennett? Um, what Eddie about, Edwards? Yeah, Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven. You know, like there's, I mean, it's, it's good to see that it's finally caught on. Like maybe like the past five years. The world has, been, has finally realized that there's a lot of good talent coming out of New England. It seemed like it was, you know, Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania for so long that was the epicenter. It's kind of where the yeah. the wrestling magazines were kind of located, so that they got the most play. But yeah, it's good to see that you know in recent years that the New England talent has gotten their due. Yeah, I mean, look, Tommaso. We were forgetting to right. mention Tommaso. Sasha Banks. Um. Yes. Oh, Mike Mills. <laughs> he, Mike Mills actually did say is is Sasha Banks four times an option. No, so but no. I mean, there's I mean, just there's countless options. It just depends on what your criteria is. I th- I think, but I don't think anybody's wrong depending on what your whatever your criteria was. The guys in the past, and then obviously the people in the present. Uh, New England is a hotbed. Uh, not just for indie wrestling, but for professional wrestling in general. Uh, I mean, a good friend of ours just this past couple weeks has been making a uh, huge impact in Japan, Warbeard mm-hmm. Hansen. So, I mean, just, you know, and, and then if you're talking about a guy like Warbeard. How about all the people he's influenced and helped train to, as well? You know, Sasha Banks again, Oni Lorcan um, helped Tommaso a ton. Kofi, he's he right. helped a ton. So, I mean... 
take your pick, man. I don't think anybody's wrong, and 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 I think we live in a very fortunate uh, time frame here uh, in professional wrestling. If you're if you're living in the New England area, it was a great conversation. Thanks to everyone who checked in on Facebook and Twitter about that topic. Another topic that can came up during the week was I asked. If you were to narrow down your viewing to one WWE show per week, we've talked about this so much programming, like, you know, six, eight hours a week. Which program, if you could only pick one, which program would it be? And the winner of our poll, I had Monday Night Raw, SmackDown Live, NXT, and Other. The winner of the poll, 40%, was SmackDown. Do you have uh, any theory as to why SmackDown? Over Raw, over NXT. I think it's the trendy answer. I think it's the new, <laughs> the new fresh thing. They're doing some different things over there. I mean, for me, it would still be it would still be Raw. I think it's the flagship show still to this day. I think some of the best things on on uh, WWE television are, are still on the Raw brand. Uh, like you know, Kevin Owens, uh, Chris Jericho, who I think may be the the best thing on WWE television currently. You know. The women on on Raw, the the Charlotte and and Sasha feud, uh, the New Day, Enzo and Cass. I mean, I, for me, it would still be Raw. Um, but I think I mean I think both shows are good. Um, I think both shows are very good. To people who still complain about the product, like I think you're getting a pretty good product right now. It, there's, there's just a lot of it. Yeah, as for people that were talking about SmackDown. Um reindeer rach uh, who is at the princess r-a-m-z it was she said she chose smackdown live basically for the women's division uh, a couple of people said raw at the ryan franson uh also steven at hhh guy 2004 said raw glenn abbott at ga wrestle nuts he said 205 live would be his mile high laz at mile high laz he said it has to be right along i mean who doesn't love a good car trip <laughs> right so thanks for everyone that checked My, i think mike mills would choose total divas <laughs> we give mike mills so many mentions i love mike mills <laughs> book in the territory pro wrestling podcast they release every thursday they also do the smoky mountain show make sure to find that on itunes podbean and stitcher and all those places love mike mills thanks to everyone who's a part of merv griffin time this week we look forward to talking to you on twitter and hearing your voicemails and we'll give you the best of it next week on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. Brian, let's do a little promo about nothing. It was late 1996. We're back down in Memphis for the USWA, the United States Wrestling Association. And let me give you a little math equation, Brian. Randy Savage plus The Ultimate Warrior plus Ric Flair plus Hulk Hogan equals what? <laughs> Tegar? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. No, 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 no. It's much better than Tegar. It is the Macho Warrior Rick Hogan. <laughs> is this a real wrestling character that I'm about to watch here? A real wrestling character and a real former USWA champion. So let's take a listen to this week's Promo about nothing. And the Macho Warriors here for you talk to him. Don't forget about that big added match. It's going to be Brian Christopher and Johnny Rotten against the Bruise Brothers Monday night. Well, I guess you can see who we have. Ooh, yeah. Brian Christopher, yeah. Looks like you've got your hands full. PG-13, yeah, you got your hands full with the likes. Of the Brooms, brother. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something, Brian Christopher. 
Your number one concern needs to be right here with the macho warrior. Yeah, Rick Hogan. You say your best friends are on the end of your wrists. Well, let me tell you something, Brian Christopher. My best friend rests right here on my shoulder, and it's that USWA World Heavyweight title. So let me tell you something, brother. Corey Macklin, brother. Dave Brown, brother. Brian Christopher, brother. The Macho Warrior Rick Hogan dude is going to come run wild at the big one in Memphis, brother. Monday night. I'm going home with the belt again, dude. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Well, we'll see. That's why we have matches. USW Heavyweight titles on the line. Macho Warrior Rick Hogan defending his title. Monday night and a too sexy Brian Christopher. Oh, Brian, can you describe this fella for me? <laughs> well, uh, to those who haven't seen the video, he has long brown curly hair. Okay. Um, he had some Macho Man esque sunglasses. Yes. He had some facial hair, and he was very rot- rotund. <laughs> Not a hint of muscle on that body. <laughs> Doesn't look like he knows a guy named Jim. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> yes, and he was the, the heavyweight champion of this. Well, uh, actually, he's the USWA champion, but there was also the USWA unified title, which was a bigger title. But this, so this is a secondary title, but still, he was called the USWA champion, which is a little weird. But yes, he was. Who is this gentleman? Was he anybody else ever? Or? He was also known as Big Daddy Doom. Or the Tower of Doom in Memphis. He never shocking, shockingly, <laughs> the the the, the uh, what, what is it? The Macho Warrior, Rick Hogan wasn't the worst of his names. <laughs> well, I mean that's debatable. That's debatable. <laughs> so the story here was that Randy Hales, who was uh, kind of an executive for USWA, had gone nuts and he created this character, kind of like I think it's kind of like Red Rooster esque, where it's like I can take anybody and make him a champion. And apparently it was true because Rick Hogan went on to become a champion, <laughs> but he did lose that championship uh, less than a month after this promo. To, to Jerry Lawler? No, to Brian Christopher. <laughs> and the promotion itself closed a year later. I'm shocked. So. <laughs> I am totally shocked that the promotion closed a year. I, yeah, actually, you know what? I am shocked. I'm shocked it lasted another year after <laughs> that train wreck. So uh, and the story doesn't end there for... Macho Warrior Rick Hogan, uh, whose real name is Michael Imbergia. Uh, let me just read this to you, Brian. Michael Imbergia, who has wrestled in Puerto Rico and numerous UN indies as Tower of Doom and was the USWA champion for a short time in 96 as Macho Warrior Rick Hogan was indicted on 10 charges of pandering sexual-oriented material involving a minor on June 10th, 2002. So yeah, that's what happened to Macho Warrior Rick Hogan. So he's uh, behind bars. I believe he is. All right. All right. Well, I I had all sorts of material lined up, but I think I'll just let that stand for itself. Yeah, so you heard this promo about nothing. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. (laughs) If you want the full picture, find the link to the video in the description of this episode or go to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing page on BDARadio.com. All right, let's get a little Mutual Admiration Society in here. As named by TK, at T-Hog 94. Checking the boots. You brought them up during the interview. Uh, I didn't bring them up. 
You brought them up. I said you were checking my boots, and then you brought them up. Checking the boots podcast. <laughs> Check them out. iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. At Referee Tony S, at Chip K C T B. We're still doing the podcast challenge series. I might be in the lead. Uh, no, I think I'm just behind Tony, who is, you know, he's the one who's put this all together. So. What do you mean I'm not in the lead? No, you've you've done terribly in your predictions. Come on, I was almost like I was almost like a hundred percent on the last pay per view, was I not? But you only had like two out of six on the pay per view before that. Oh boy. Yeah. So anyway, I feel like you probably changed my picks on me. The Hurricane Rana podcast at the Hurricane Rana on Twitter. They go live on Facebook every Wednesday night. Facebook.com slash Hurricane Rana Wrestling, and a man walks into an arm bar. BD Radio's MMA podcast, hosted by Chad Alden and Paul St. Ammon Jr. Find them wherever you get your podcasts or BDARadio.com or, or I should say BDARadio.com as they like to play on the podcast there. All right, Brian, you are hitting the highways and byways, possibly crisscrossing this great nation of ours, maybe as we head into the holiday season, plying your trade as a professional wrestler. And I'm actually really not sure if you have dates. I do have dates. Oh, I have okay. a couple dates left for the year. Really? Uh, you know, All right, good. We'll be getting into January dates soon, but uh, I'll tell you who I won't be uh, crisscrossing the highways and byways with anymore, and that's the Playboy. Uh, I, almost, I almost died on the way back from Philly because he got a sound night's sleep. Uh, thank God our good friend who is here today, uh, Todd Sinclair, uh, talked on the phone with me to help keep me awake and alive. So... Uh, only by the grace of God and Todd Sinclair, I'm here doing this podcast today because the, the Playboy is useless. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I got two big dates remaining for the year. Back-to-back uh, -back days. Thursday, December 29th at the Aurora Providence, oh, Beyond right. Wrestling. Go to beyondwrestlingonline.com. Find them very active on social media. Check them out. Get tickets for that. should be a great show. Uh, and then the very next night, I return to Top Rope Promotions for the Spindle City Rumble. Right. Oh, okay. I got that first take. How about that? Oh, it's on favorite. <laughs> and that'll be uh, in Fall River. Uh, find uh, Top Rope Promotions on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, they sell their tickets through brownpapertickets.com. Okay. And this Friday night, of course, I'll be heading to Woburn, Massachusetts, the Woburn Oaks Lodge for Chaotic Wrestling. 8 p.m. bell time, 7.15, uh, doors open. It'll be Brian Fury in his final match, Fury's final fight against the Golden Greek, Alex Arion. Also, Pandemonium will take place, a six-man match. You will love it. Come on out, support Brian Fury in his last match. Get your tickets at chaoticwrestling.com. You know what I say? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brian Malonis at Comcast.net if you want to book the kingpin. And that is that. For more on the wrestling podcast about nothing, head over to your home for MMA and wrestling talk, BDARadio.com. We'll be back on Thursday with something extra that is bonus audio from the wrestling podcast about nothing. So look for that. And of course, you'll see us back here on your podcast feed next Monday with episode 35 of the podcast. Until then, he is the Kingpin Brian Malonis. I am Mike Crockett, and thanks for nothing.